This is History West Midlands. Birmingham owns the first great Shakespeare library in the world. It was founded to honour the playwright's tercentenary in 1864, and it was immediately hailed by the German Shakespeare Society, the oldest such society in the world, as a major landmark in European culture. In Germany, Shakespeare is regarded as the third great national poet. The other two are Goethe and Schiller, but it was Shakespeare they turned to in order to prize German literature away from dominant French models. Some of the most distinguished German Shakespeareans of the 19th century made pilgrimages to Birmingham's Great Shakespeare Library after it opened its doors in 1868. It has always held more materials in German than in any language other than English. There are now thousands of German holdings, including some utterly unique treasures. In this podcast, Professor Tobias Dering of Ludwig Maximilian University, Munich, talks with History West Midlands publisher Mike Gibbs at the Library of Birmingham. I work in the field of Shakespeare studies and I used to be president of the German Shakespeare Society, so I take very special interest in all things Shakespearean. And I've come to Birmingham now, especially to look at the immense holdings and the Shakespeare section of the public library, where there is an enormously rich treasure of German materials that apparently have not been looked at for quite some time. And I feel very excited and very privileged now to be one of the first people after a long time to browse through and see what can be discovered here. What is the relationship between German literature and Shakespeare? German culture has had a very long and very intense love affair with Shakespeare, very strong engagement ever since the mid-18th century or so. It's been started by figures who were sort of significant in the German Enlightenment, figures like Wieland or Lessing, who were sort of mid-18th century intellectuals, looking for models to inspire German culture. German culture was really very much sort of dormant and very much sort of scattered, fragmented, throughout the many German dukedoms, German kingdoms, or German states. And Shakespeare was very much a focus point in gathering the energies and the creative potentials and focusing them onto a new project. And that new project was to define what German culture was all about. It was very much an anti-French endeavor. So, you know, Shakespeare was used as a kind of weapon against the French influence, neoclassicism and rationalism. Shakespeare was deemed sort of an organic, natural genius, not concerned with rules, not concerned with hierarchical politics, so it had a political edge to it. Ever since those mid-18th century figures who sparked off this interest, every major German cultural movement has had their own Shakespeare invented and had to go through their own Shakespearean experience. I mean, famous are the early discoveries that Goethe made in Shakespeare. But it's really been going strong ever since. And the astonishing part is that it has not stopped. I mean, right to this very day, as we speak, as it were, Shakespeare remains a German classic. He's been naturalized in the mid-19th century, sometimes quite aggressively naturalized and declared a German. Germans at the time claimed that Shakespeare really had to 
be realized in German because the British had been alienated from it. They had been all interested in economics only and in industry and in technology, but they lost touch with that vibrant part of their own heritage. So the idea was that Germans basically rescued Shakespeare from the British and made him an honorary German so as to give him refuge and make him survive in his true spirit. I mean, I'm sort of paraphrasing what many German intellectuals in the mid-19th century actually wrote down. They refer to this project, Making Shakespeare Ours, as nostrification, from the Latin word noster, for us or ours. And this was a very patriotic, aggressively patriotic idea to get him away from the English. It was maybe pure jealousy or, or rivalry, but it was certainly a very strong impulse that got a lot of very interesting and very significant cultural projects going, although it's doubtful and perhaps resentful in many of its articulations. What came out of it is really quite fascinating and quite significant, culturally speaking. For example, the first ever staging of the Shakespearean history plays as a cycle. So the conception that they all belong together and they form one whole and one continuous narrative, that was done precisely in that spirit by a German director, adapter and translator called Franz Dingelstedt. And it was done in 1864 in Weimar to mark the tercentenary and the foundation of the German Shakespeare Society. This was very much the first ever idea that Shakespeare wrote a historical visionary cycle that Germans used also to realize their own historical vision of bringing together those various parts, the eight plays, which are scattered and in fact were never conceived as one continuous whole, they were brought together in the idea that German culture also needed to be brought together and put together in just the same way to form one continuous whole, that is to overcome the fragmentation of political disunity and make one unified nation out of it. So Shakespeare really, in many ways, is the midwife of German nationalism and German national culture. And that's precisely why, to this very day, there is no way of getting around Shakespeare in Germany and in German culture. And here in Birmingham, and particularly with this project, we're talking about Shakespeare for everybody. In Germany, was Shakespeare very much for the elite or was it for the common man? Well, the German Shakespeare Society was founded with precisely the idea to bring Shakespeare, as they put it, to the people. That's the term used, the German term Volk, which means people, among others. It was very much the idea that it is not for the experts, not for the philologists or even anybody sort of with professional interests, but it was very much the idea that Shakespeare himself arose out of very sort of common background with very sort of mundane, everyday kind of family roots. And he should be placed right in the middle of that family life, that people's life. And there's very strong and I think very successful ways to bridge that gap between actually quite a complex, quite a demanding body of works, which were then translated, edited, brought out in cheap, very affordable, very accessible editions from the 1816 onwards in the attempt to make him precisely that, a people's poet. So it is very much George Dawson's idea also that is mutually enriched or mutually reflected in that German Shakespeare Society's endeavor. And I believe that's also part precisely why Dawson was interested in the German Shakespeare activities and why they seem to have profited mutually. And during the challenging times, shall we say, of the 20th century yeah. in terms of relations between the English-speaking world and the German-speaking world, how did Shakespeare survive? 
Well, Shakespeare did survive the 1930s and 1940s in German culture, as long as there was anything like German culture going on at the time, although in ways that are actually quite difficult to acknowledge and often quite shocking to see. There was an official line, Shakespeare having been nostrified, as the Germans said, so having been made into a German author, there was no problem having him staged, even though the British were the arch enemies and England was being bombarded at the time. But there was actually quite a vexed and quite a contradictory relation between the ruling ideology of the Nazis and Shakespearean drama, because many of the plays lend themselves to more than one reading and more than one staging. And there are famous productions at the time, in the 30s and 40s even, that did astonishing things with Shakespeare, politically speaking. For example, 1937, the Berlin Schauspielhaus, which was sort of the flagship of the young Nazi state, the Berlin Schauspielhaus staged Richard III in a production by Jürgen Fehling, who was you know, well-known, well-established German director, and he cast Werner Krauss. He had played Caligari on film, so one of the international stars of that theatre, in the title role. So Werner Krauss as Richard III really played him in the guise of Hitler. It was hinted at, it was not brought out to the full like Bert Brecht did in his Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui, where really Hitler and Richard III become identified. It was only hinted at, but the costumes, it was a modern dress production, the costumes, some of the topical allusions they added, some of the improvisational stuff that went on, made it unmistakable. And the interesting thing is the production survived. It was shown for quite some time because it had cultural prestige and they couldn't, at the time, this was a year after the Olympics, they couldn't afford, as it were, to become too drastically censorious and forbid or prohibit critical engagement. Well, this was 37. A few years later, 1943, the same actor, Werner Krauss, played Shylock in a notorious Viennese production, which was staged on the command of Balor von Schirach, the reigning Nazi authority in Vienna, to celebrate, as they put it, the fact that Vienna had been cleared of all Jews. So this is a cynical production, that staged the same actor, interestingly, in that Nazi propagandistic product in the Shylock role, after it in fact just played a number of Jewish figures in the notorious propaganda film Jude Zeus, to celebrate anti-Semitism's most violent and most atrocious crime. So you can see within the span of only six years, you have both sides, as it were, and Shakespeare was usable for either side. And in modern Germany today... Yeah. What is the role of Shakespeare? Well, he is the most performed German author every year. There are statistics of sort of German theatres who bring out, you know, their productions. And every year the statistic is led by Shakespeare. So, you know, whatever year you take, it's always there. There is plenty of examples in both theatrical life as well as larger cultural lives that there seems no way for us to even begin to talk about the state of the world without resorting to Shakespeare. Right now there's Brexit. We have every day we have a Brexit story in the news. Every second headline is a Shakespeare quote. You can never get round, as it were. He seems to be the explanatory power or the explanatory authority to even talk about our day and age. And interestingly, now working in this archive for a few hours, I've come across some interesting anthologies who've been doing this for already quite a few times, almost 100 years. It goes back to the early 1920s. I found an anthology, Shakespeare for Our Time, where sort of topical events like 
1st of August 1914, was commented on with Shakespearean citations from the plays. I found this absolutely fascinating that this has such a long tradition already that you use Shakespeare almost like a code to decode what's happening nowadays. In the time that you've spent already yeah. in the archives here, mm-hmm. what's your view of this collection as not only a Shakespeare scholar, but as a European Shakespeare it's scholar? It's an absolutely fascinating collection with a very, very rich collection of materials. Some of this I've never seen in anywhere else, although I've been to many places and have worked a great deal on Shakespeare in Germany and other places. Among the treasures of this fantastic collection in the library is this unique item. It's not actually a published book, but it's a very special gift which a German Shakespearean called Leo in 1878 gave to the Birmingham Library for his gratitude and appreciation of their special relationship. And it's beautifully produced. There's this metalwork right here showing sort of Shakespeare the centre, of course, and then offering what is really a tribute to the international outreach, both of this library and, of course, of Shakespeare and his impact on especially German culture. And this marvellous album is really an enormously impressive sign of how much Shakespeare reaches out to the world and how much this particular library has done so as well. Because it's not just in this library, it was given, specially produced for this library, by one of my predecessors, if I may say so, a German Shakespearean visiting Birmingham. There's plenty of collected works going back to these early 18th century uh, achievements. Among the material I found there was a book that would never have been in any bookshop and it would never have been for sale. It was produced in Berlin, East Berlin and Weimar, in 1964, so for the Shakespeare Jubilee in 1964, which is just at the point also when the German Shakespeare Society had split up into an Eastern and Western branch, or the Western branch was sort of the segregated one. The Eastern branch continued the tradition in Weimar. And for this Jubilee, they produced a little book where Shakespeare was explained for the purposes of socialist humanism and where it was pointed out that the youngest daughter of Karl Marx was one of the first members of the German Shakespeare Society. Apparently, I didn't know that, I just read it in this little book. And interesting also, they put together quotations from the collected works on various topics like international peace or personal relationships or whatever. And they offer suggestions for programs for Shakespeare celebration. So it says music first and then use this quotation on page 69. Then you have a speech. Then you have the quotation on page 78. And they offer, as it were, what they call humanistic celebrations of Shakespeare for the purposes of socialist education and community building. And that's an absolutely fascinating document of that particular moment in time, which I've never seen, I don't think would be in any German library, because it's kind of embarrassing for one part and for the other part it would be kind of politically obnoxious. So it's really a treasure and it's a very slim but very significant volume of that particular moment in German Shakespeare relations. Can you summarise for me what you consider to be the importance of this project to unlock this Shakespeare library. Yeah, this Shakespeare library seems like a sleeping beauty, really, and it needs just some prints to kiss it awake. And the idea that now there is a chance to bring this out and bring this together, both locally speaking but also internationally, is just a chance too good to be missed. I mean, for me personally, it's been just so enriching just spending these few hours now and browsing around, and I'm lucky to have a few more days But I think it's definitely a chance to realize that vision which Dawson formulated as 
Shakespeare or everything for everybody, Shakespeare for everybody, to realize that vision on our terms and with our means, now having different media, different uh, possibilities to do so, not only books or theater, but also film or digital or virtual uh, possibilities. And it seems like the perfect idea to let people participate in what they feel matters and matters to them in a way that reflects this long tradition of Shakespeare being the one that makes things articulate and makes things matter. You can learn more about the Everything to Everybody project at everythingtoeverybody.birmingham.ac.uk and find films, podcasts and articles at our website at www.historywm.com. <laughs>